Amen and amen, amen, amen. So tonight we just concluded the first day of this four-day fasting. And we are looking at the fact or the truth that God has covenanted with us to succeed. Amen. We are success, not just in the making, but it's already happened. And hopefully over this next couple of days, God will be able to convince you that he's already paid the price in full for your success. Amen? And so now, let's just get started tonight. I want us to know tonight that God's definition of success is contrary to the world's definition. Corporate America will measure success based on, number one, what you have done. Number two, what you've accomplished. And number three, what you have accumulated. Now, if you've done some great things, accomplished some powerful things, and accumulated a bunch of stuff, and you don't have God, you really have nothing. Now, let's look at God's definition as we begin this journey over this next couple of days. Number one, the corporate America's definition by just what I said, what you've done, what you've accomplished, what you've accumulated, if you notice, there's a common denominator. You. It's all entirely based on you. How long or how far can it carry you? Let's look at God's definition. Genesis 39. Genesis 39. In verse 2. Genesis 39 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. Whoa. That will astound Wall Street. Because by God's definition of success, it's not about what you have, but rather who you have. And the reason I'm so confident about the fact that you are successful and you will succeed and that you cannot fail is not because of what you have done. It's not because of what you have accomplished or what you can accumulate as good as those things are. But by the truth of the fact that who you have. So what I'm saying to us tonight, what you have pales in comparison with who you have. That's what makes a ton of difference. Now, in Genesis 39 verse 2, the Bible says, the Lord was with Joseph and (laughs) he was a successful man. Look at Joseph. He had no bank accounts. He had no qualifications. And he had not accomplished nada, nothing. But more importantly, he had no natural connections with any man or woman of influence. He had no godfather. He was a slave. Sold into slavery, as you read the story in Genesis 37, 38, and all of that stuff. And yet, the Bible tells me and you, 
that he was a successful man. What marked him for success was not about what he had done, what he had accomplished, or what he had accumulated, because we know he had zero. And I'm glad God put Joseph's story in the Bible. So if you are here tonight and you have no bank account, you've not done much, you've not accomplished much, and you have not accumulated a lot of stuff, I want you to know, God had you in mind. And the wonderful thing about God is, God is not a, you know, there, there, are, there are things you do and you cannot repeat. You just barely made it, you did it, you accomplished it, but if you were to try it again, you can't do it. Many things like that. For instance, the Falcons won a football game yesterday. They play again on Sunday, we see if they can win. They can't repeat it. You see what I'm saying? But with God, if he did it once, he can do it twice, he can do it thrice, he can do it every day. Because God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's awesome. So I'm so encouraged to know that no matter where I find myself right now, it is not over. No matter the circumstances that are around you today, no matter how unsuccessful you think you are, no matter how many times failure is knocking on your door, you must be encouraged that if there is a Joseph who prospered in a strange land, ah, the same God who did that is alive and well. And not only is he able to do it for you, he has already guaranteed that he will do it for you. Joseph had no bank accounts. He had no educational qualifications. No connections. And yet, the Bible said he was a successful man. And you know what's so encouraging for me? I saw Joseph and I saw what God did. And like I just said, God can do it again and again. Because what God did with Joseph, the exact same thing he did in Israel for Israelites. Israel, from back then till today, till today, you go to that tiny nation of Israel, till now, all their enemies are fighting around them, trying to put them out. They can never succeed. It's not possible. Because what God began is more than able to finish. He took a band of people from a nation in Egypt, a band of slaves in bondage for over 400 years. And when he delivered them and planted them in their nation called Israel, they became the envy of the entire world. Everyone will be envious about what God will do in your life. You will become the envy of the world around you. If you believe what God has already done, I'm telling you in Jesus' name, God has done it. It's permanent. It's complete. It will abide and it will remain. And it's not because of us, but because of who he is. It's ancient of days and it does not change. Now, we, 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 I want us to, to see how God is going to do this. Because this will be the, where the encouragement is. We are told in Genesis 39 verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Verse 5, so it was 
from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So we see what God has done in Joseph here. And please, mind you, this is in Genesis. Genesis is before the law. This was under pure grace. And the only requirement for God's blessing for Joseph was not his qualification, not his skill set, not the fact that he was a great, brilliant man. The only qualification was who Joseph knew. So if you and I are to succeed, if we are to prosper, it's not going to be about what, but about who. Now, to let, me, to, to let us know how God has designed this thing and has totally, completely factored Jesus into the equation. Go with me to Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20. This is at the time of giving of the law. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 1, you will read, and God spoke to all, no, sorry, I'm sorry. And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. So God here in Exodus 20 is beginning to give the law. He's beginning to give the law to Israel. But it's amazing to me that even as God was giving that law, God had in, his back, in the back of his mind that I'm giving you the law because that's what you want. But I already know you can never fulfill this law. So because I'm your father and I understand the father, you don't know what you're asking for. I'm not only giving you what you are asking for, but I'm going to show you the remedy so that when you are falling, you can still be restored. Watch this. This blew me away completely. So in Exodus chapter 20, beginning from verse 1, it begins to give what we now call the Ten Commandments. And when we get to verse 24, the same chapter. What did God say? An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you, I will bless you. Verse 25. Watch this. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Have you ever wondered why God closed chapter 20 of Exodus with instruction concerning the altar? Here in the first few verses, it gives them what we know as the Ten Commandments. Things they must do to be blessed. And things that if they violate, they will be cursed. But because he knew they would never be able to do it. He said, by the way, when you make an altar, what is an altar? A place of sacrifice. So immediately God said altar, he's already thinking Jesus. 
Jesus is the greatest altar you and I can ever have or think about. But watch this. He said, make an altar for me. It must not be of hewn stones. What's hewn stone? A stone that we can cut. Works. A stone that man can get involved in. Because when you cut it, man must employ his labor to cut the stone and use his tool. And then when you've cut it, you can boast and say, look at my stone. Look at my altar. Look how well it is. God said, no, 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 no. If you are going to come to my altar, it cannot be an altar that you work on. Because I don't want your boasting in what I'm about to do. The altar must be completely made of natural resources. But not only that, he said, I don't want steps climbing up to this altar because I don't want to see your nakedness. In other words, I don't need your three steps to success. Because every step you make will continue to point at your failure. Because if you can't do this tomorrow, you fail, you have guilt, you have condemnation, you have a cycle and cycle of failure. So, no, you don't need three steps to success, three steps to deliverance, three steps to this and that. No, because those steps only set you up for failure. And that's why tonight, the success that God has for us is not about three steps, it's not about four steps, no, five steps, it's only about one person. That person is Jesus. If the Lord is with you, you will succeed. If the Lord is with you, you are a success waiting to happen. All you need is Jesus plus nothing. You don't need an additive. You don't need any other thing to be added to him. Jesus is enough. Amazing to me that he's given them the law and he's already factored in their failure. And made this prescription for that failure without them even knowing what he was doing. No tools in this altar and no steps necessary. It's just one person. Hello? Now, very quickly, in Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 1, just about the time when Jesus was being born, the angel came and made an announcement about his birth. Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is the only one we need. He's the only one. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 19. Well, we can read verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So Joseph right here is about to divorce Mary. Because in the, in the Jewish tradition, a betrothal is as good as marriage. You ask for her, you pay the dowry, you're just waiting for the day to consummate. That's it. They were as good as married. Okay? So when, when he's finding out that she's pregnant, he says, you know what? I'm just going to disengage this thing quietly. We're going to get a quiet divorce. You follow me so far? But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
The point I'm making is this. When Jesus was born, we are told his name shall be called Jesus, which means a savior. So every time you call upon his name, you are saying, save me. Save me from, from poverty. Save me from sickness. Save me from troubles. That, that's what his name means. That is his job description. Savior. Savior. So, you, so and I'm saying this to you because you need to, you need to get this revelation of what this means and you need to believe it so that it can work in your life. Amen. You need to know what you're saying when you call his name. It's a savior. But that's not all he is. We are just told that not only is this Jesus, he's also what? Emmanuel. Meaning God with us. Oh my God. You may not feel like it. You may not sense it. But I want you to know every living moment of your life, Emmanuel is with you. That's a promise he will keep until the end of the ages. And that is why I'm so confident tonight. You cannot lose. You cannot fail. You are going to succeed. Why? Because God is on your side. Amen. God is on your side. This is huge. That's the only person Joseph needed to succeed in Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. Nothing else. No Harvard, no Princeton, no Bank Akimala seminars, none of that stuff. The Lord was, if you know what you are carrying, if you ever wake up and know the revelation of what you carry, it will change your life. And everyone around you. That's the truth. Now let's look back at some scriptures. Let's look back at some scriptures. Go with me to Joshua chapter 6. I need to make this quick. Joshua chapter 6. Oh, thank you, Lord. It's not what you have, it's who you have. Joshua chapter 6. Look at verse... You know this story very well. You are very familiar with it. This is when... Joshua was leading the Israelites to capture Jericho. Jericho was a walled city. Very fortified. To the natural mind, you will say the Israelites are out of their mind. To even challenge the integrity of the fortification of Jericho. Who are you? Where do you train to, to battle? But God said to them, March around the place six times. On the seventh day, do it seven times. And Joshua said, let the priests that bear the what? The ark of the covenant. Let them go first. The ark represented the presence of God. Let's read verse 9. Joshua 6, 9. Look at what it says. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets. And the real God came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once 
Then they came into the camp and lodged the, in the camp. So the, this is the issue. If they had shouted in the absence of the ark, would they get the result? So what was the factor? What made the difference? The presence of the ark in the camp. That ark represented the presence of God. With God on their side. They followed simple instruction. Victory was theirs. If God did that in the Old Testament, how much more will he do now? In Hebrews 13 verse 5, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, do you think he meant that? You think maybe he was joking? In Matthew 28, 20, he said, Lord, I am with you even until the end of the age. So do you think Jesus means what he says? Is he saying what he means? Do you truly believe that Jesus is with you in every living second, every given situation of your life? This sounds so elementary, so simplistic, but I'm telling you, if you truly believe what we're saying, it will change your life. Because when you come to any situation, it's not just you by yourself. You are bringing the greatest person on the face of the earth to bear upon that situation. Jesus said it in John chapter 14. He said that it is to your advantage that I go away. He said, because if I don't go away, I will not be able to send the helper. He said, but when I go away, I will send the helper unto you. Then chapter, John chapter 16 goes on to say, I will send you the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who will teach you all things. So now we don't have an ark, physical ark that we have to carry. But you and I have something much more greater than that because now the ark is residing in the inside of us. We just need to believe that and call upon it. Notice what Jesus called him. Helper. Helper. Say helper. There's a helper on your case. <laughs> no matter what that case is, there's a helper on your case to bring you the favor you need and the result you need. You just must believe it. What does a helper do? A helper helps. A helper helps. So wherever you are, whatever the situation you are faced with, you need to understand you have a helper on the case, residing in the inside of you, you brought your helper to that situation. And you need to allow the helper to help you. Hello? Please stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. This will be but a few minutes. I'm going to read one passage, then we're going to make a confession. And then you can go home. Second Samuel. Chapter 6. Just so you see how consistent what we're saying is. This is the story here. This is the context. David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Some, uh, um, what's this guy's name? Uh, Uzziah. And Ahil touched the Ark and they died. And David said, wow, how shall I bring the Ark back to me. What did he do? He packed this ark 
in the house of a Gentile named Obed-Edom. This is the most ridiculous thing that could have happened under the law. Not only are Israelites generally not allowed to see the ark, Gentiles that were not part of Israel, it was an abomination. To show you what we were saying last Sunday about wisdom. How did David know to do that? How did he know to take this ark, which was a sacred thing, into the house of a Gentile? The Spirit of God must have told him to do so. But what I want us to read is what happened. And then we're going to pray. Second Samuel chapter 6 verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Did you hear that? Gittite. These were the same people that God said, destroy and kill. He put the ark into the house of Obedidom, the Gittite. Verse 11. The the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidom, the Gittite, three months. What happened? And the Lord blessed Obedidom and all his household. If God's presence in the house of an unbelieving Gentile can bring blessings upon them. And you now are a child of God. Jesus is your Lord and your master. How much more will Jesus do for you today? Hallelujah! With hands lifted, let's proclaim, just say this for himself, Father, I confess the Lord is with me. I am a success. I confess the Lord is with me. Therefore, I succeed. It cannot be changed. It cannot be removed. It cannot be altered. That is who you are. Everywhere you go, success happens. I am success waiting to be manifested. In the name of Jesus, I succeed. Today, tomorrow, I succeed. Everything I lay my hands upon, prosper. It shall succeed. It shall not fail. I will make progress in the name of Jesus because the Lord is with me. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are with me. One with God is more than a majority. In the name of Jesus, because you are for me, no one can be against me. In the name of Jesus, I am confident. I am assured. I am guaranteed of my God's success. You did it for Joseph. You did it for Israel. You did it for Obedidam. Therefore, it's already done for me. In the name of Jesus, the helper is on my side. I have help on my case. I have help in my situation. My situation will change because my helper is at war. In the name of Jesus, I speak now to my mountain 
I speak now to my situation. You must move. You must change. Because the helper demands you change. In the name of Jesus, my hands prosper. My mind prosper. My body prosper. My household prosper. In the name of Jesus, failure is not an option. I cannot fail. I will not fail. I choose not to fail. I choose to succeed. The Lord is with me. I succeed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, your word is so simple. Your word is so simple, it's so clear. You that keep Israel, you did not slumber, neither did you sleep. You made a promise and a covenant to bless them. And you watched over your word until you were blessed. Until they became a nation that became the envy of the entire world. You did that for Israel that did not honor you, that did not obey you. Because you gave your word, you did it. And so, Lord God, silver and gold we do not have, but we have your word tonight. Your word can never fail. You hasten over your word to perform it. And so, Father, we thank you that you have a new covenant based upon the performance of your son, Jesus. And therefore, because of your favor upon him, we are a favored people. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your word comes to pass for us. Your word manifests itself in our life. We thank you, my Lord and my God, that because you are with us, you prosper us. Thank you, Father God. You are turning our captivities around. You've given us joy unspeakable. And we are thanking you for it. We bless in your name, my Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are a great God. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.